This is a workshop on step one. At this time, I'd like to take and turn the meeting over to Chris R. from England, yeah, yeah, from Texas. Let me get clipped up. Can you hear me all right? I don't know why we do this. You're not gonna. I'm not gonna need a microphone in about ten seconds anyway. So. <laughs> My name's Chris Raymer. I'm a recovered alcoholic. <laughs> How cool it is to be here uh, to get to see you guys. I, I know a lot of you in this room, and some of you I haven't met yet, but I'm sure I will. And those that bother to stay through this hour, I will get a chance to meet possibly. And you don't have to worry about going to the sanctuary after I finish talking, because most of these people will leave anyway. So. <laughs> I always think it's very funny how, how sensitive we are as alcoholics and addicts. You know, we have a tendency to come into these rooms and, and you know, I, I, I laugh about I work at a, for a, at a treatment center in a hospital in, in Texas. And, uh, uh, you know, as, as long as I'm agreeing with what the patient's saying, they, they think Chris Raymer's the, that Chris Raymer, he, he's the only person that really understands, you know. <laughs> and then I hold them accountable, you know, it's like, buddy, you're acting like an idiot. You need to stop doing what you're doing, you know. And then all of a sudden it's like, who does he think he is telling me what to do? You know, it's like, as long as I'm validating your BS, we're, we're in good shape. And then the minute I start saying something that differs from your experience, then we ain't buddies anymore. It makes sense? We're out here smoking cigarettes. Chris, you're the best. And then I get up here and talk about you pissing and moaning in meetings, and then and it offends you, and so now we're not going to smoke together anymore. You know, <laughs> you're over there by yourself, and you can't talk to me that way. You know, so i got to tell you guys, I'm going to do this little workshop about first step stuff, because this is a kind of a little thing that kind of, well, it did. It saved my life. I, I like, like Desmond earlier, I'm, I'm a chronic relapser. Only the, it took him a year in and out. It took me seven years in and out to, to, to get this. And, 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 and some of the stuff I'm going to talk about, it sounds a little controversial, you know, but, but I've got to tell you, folks, it, it wasn't because I didn't want it. You see, I'm in and out seven years because in the area that I got sobered up in, we didn't talk about the big book and we didn't talk about God. We, we, this was in the height of the treatment center industry in the 80s and we were talking a lot about inner child and mommy and daddy and we were talking about everything under the sun except how to get well, how to recover from alcoholism. So, folks, if my experience... I'm going to talk tonight at 4 o'clock. You know, we get to do a little talk at, at the end. You're going to hear more of my story. But, guys, i, I got to say this. Bless your hearts. If, if my experience doesn't coincide with your experience and you can't relate to what I'm talking about, don't take it personal. Because I'm going to tell you something. There's a, I travel about 40 weekends out of the year. And it, it's not because I'm particularly whimsical. or, or you know, it's, it's that there's a lot of people out there that want to hear what I'm talking about. You follow me? So I mean, I know that there are some people that are identifying with my experience. I nearly died twice. I nearly died getting to Alcoholics Anonymous thanks to alcohol and drugs. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. Once I got to AA in 1980, I almost died again because nobody had the courage to tell me what it was to be an alcoholic. You with us? It's like we were laughing with Desmond. He's talking. About, it's like it's like we're working on commission in here. You know? And it's like you know. It's like no. If you're an alcoholic. Let me, let me back up a minute. He, here's the... I don't know how to say it. I'm trying not to cuss today, too, so this is going to be an interesting experiment here. I'll probably fail miserably at that one, but I... I, I here's what's so weird about, about this business. is like... When you talk to somebody about what it is to be an alcoholic, it's not that it's, during the process of this little hour of tirade, we're going to talk about this. It's not that you might find out that you are an alcoholic. It's that I'm asking you guys to come in here with a clean mind and, and accept the proposition that maybe you're not an alcoholic. Because you see, I sat around the fellowship for years and nobody would ask me some specific questions because they were too busy worried about whether or not they were going to step on my sensitive little feelings or not. The, the cat was here, and so they assumed I was going to stay here. But I wasn't going to stay here because there was always this thought in the back of my mind that, you know, my case is just a little bit different. And you'd come in and you'd share your crappy little war stories with me, and I couldn't relate because I hadn't done some of the stuff you'd been doing. You follow me? And so I'd say, well, I, used to, I thought I was an alcoholic, but I'd never had a DWI, so maybe I'm not an alcoholic. You know, I thought I was an alcoholic, but I never got beat up in a bar fight before. You follow me? All that stuff eventually happened to me, I need to tell you. But... <laughs> But I, at the time, I couldn't relate. So, I mean, I, I spent a lot of years out there in and out that I didn't need. Nobody ever in the group, guys, please, 
in the group that I went to, the groups that I went to, nobody ever slowed down long enough and says, Chris, let's find out once and for all if you even need to be here. You see, guys, alcoholism is, is, is fatal, one, and it's progressive. And you either got it or you don't. You can't be a little bit alcoholic. <laughs> no? Because, see, now here's the difference. Here's the first controversial thing I'll say from the podium. Uh, well, maybe not the first. Here. <laughs> here's, the, here's the first. Is, there's a difference between alcohol abuse and alcoholism. Can y'all get down with that? And we got a lot of hard drinkers. I'll tell you right now, we got a lot of hard drinkers in AA today. And they, they can't relate to alcoholism. But because they're alcohol abusers and they were given sufficient reason to stop, they stopped. Now they're sitting in meetings, they're talking trash, they're, they're, they're you know, the little one-liners. You know, they, they sound like alcoholics. They look like alcoholics. You with me? But they, they're not alcoholics. Their life doesn't depend on carrying the message to a newcomer. Their lives doesn't depend on working the 12 steps. You with me? But they're in meetings, and they're calling themselves an alcoholic. And what they, we read earlier, there's only one requirement for membership in Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's a desire to stay sober. Well, I desire to stay sober. That's great. But if you're not an alcoholic, you'd be, you be real careful what you're sharing in a meeting with me. Because if it differs with what's in this book, you and me are going to go out and smoke a cigarette and chat. <laughs> this is where some of you guys get cranky. This is where so I, I wore my special Denny shirt today. Did y'all see it? Did y'all notice the Denny shirt? I got a buddy in I got a buddy in Houston that owns some Denny's and uh, and he, uh, he sends me these shirts and I and I wear them sometimes when I lecture and do this kind of stuff because I believe that this is the place that we need to go talk about a lot of stuff that we're talking about out there in Alcoholics Anonymous. See? <laughs> Because I believe in a meeting, a meeting ought to be a pep rally, and we ought to be talking about the power of God, we ought to be talking about the 12 steps. And other than that, we, we're, we're going we're to part ways. See, some of the stuff I'm going to talk about at 4 o'clock tonight, you know, some of you that are not going to be here at 4 o'clock, because I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and piss you off now, that's okay. You know, but I need to tell it now, because I might not get another shot at you later. I believe that... <laughs> ulterior motives. I believe that Alcoholics Anonymous was exactly what Desmond said, it was a gift to us. And, and it's difficult for me not to get quite emotional about it because, because I, about the time that, uh, that Bill Wilson was dying in 1971, uh, I was picking up my first drink. And if it hadn't been for some people strongly standing in the trenches explaining to us what this program was about, I wouldn't be here today. And i got to tell you guys, i got a terrific life today. I have a wonderful life today as a direct result of following the tenets in these books. You follow us in the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you can stay sober, hanging around the periphery, you're welcome. But I might submit something to you. I spent years in and out. Why couldn't I stay sober? Because my time in Alcoholics Anonymous, when I wasn't working the steps, was more painful than my time out there drinking. See, I suffered from a thing called a spiritual malady. And the depression that is involved in a spiritual malady is you can cut it with a knife. It's very, a lot of you all understand that. And I started going to doctors early on. I was barely 20 when I started seeing a doctor and, and receiving my first prescriptions for antidepressants. I mean, guys, I, man, I was 35 when I finally got sober. That's 15 years that I was taking medication to treat a symptom that could be alleviated like that by the power of God. It's a pretty cool thing. So this is what we're going to talk about. Um, I, I brought some little issue man buttons up here for some of you guys that wanted the little issue man buttons. And, uh, so let's get, let's get started on this. There's a small percentage of us in this world. I'm watching the clock, guys. I got you for about an hour, and then, then we'll go smoke big cigarettes. Um, <laughs> I was too nervous to smoke earlier. I didn't get a chance. Alcoholism and drug addiction. What nobody bothered to tell me for years, in and out of this fellowship, was that it was it was genetic. You see, we kept wanting to spend time in therapy talking about what was it in my life that caused me so much discomfort that I had to drink over. You with me? Now, i got to tell you, there was some stuff in my life that caused me some great discomfort, and I drank over that. You with me? I'm, I'm down with that. People sometimes misunderstand what I'm saying. That my, my past doesn't matter. I'm saying, it, of course it matters. But alcoholism being the genetic disease that it is, I would have had whether I'd been raised in a rich family or a poor family. You know, make sense? And this is what we kind of all need to get on the same page. Some of you guys in this room, you get cranky about this message that I'm carrying to you today because you've been carrying, you've been holding on so tight to this issue that you continue to think is causing you to drink and drug. And that's what the book tries to explain. 
Bill Wilson in the first 100 pages describes the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. In the first 60 pages, he talks about this right here. First step. He spends, in the, in the, in the, in the next 40 pages, he describes the next 11 steps. Bill Wilson really wants us to understand what this is about. Are you an alcoholic or not? In the back of the book, in page, I think it's 155 or 150, well, heck, I'll just read it. Thanks for the cold weather, too. I'm sure y'all did that on my... <laughs> talking about Dr. Bob. Bill Wilson's talking. He's talking about his bud, Dr. Bob, when he was 12-stepping him. And he said, Dr. Bob, he said he had a desperate desire to stop, but saw no way, no way out, for he had earnestly tried many avenues of escape. Painfully aware of being somehow abnormal, <laughs> you know, duh, okay, <laughs> the man did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic. And see, that's the problem that we have in this room right now. We've got some people in this room right now that are calling themselves alcoholic, but if you stop them and you get them away from everybody and say, hey, buddy, you keep calling yourself an alcoholic, would you mind telling me what that means to be an alcoholic? you're going to get some uncomfortable silences. Well, I, I drink too much. No, it's got nothing to do with the quantity that you drink. And if you can't know it in your heart what it is, one, you won't stay in these rooms because the steps will push you out. Working them are so uncomfortable, you, you won't do them. And two, you won't be able to translate the message to the newcomer who desperately needs to hear what's wrong with him. See, I spent years in therapy, 15 years in and out of therapy couches, on having them tell me why I drank and drugged. Blaming everybody under the sun why I drank and drugged. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. That's absolute garbage. Absolute garbage. Absolute garbage. It's genetic, folks. We've known it medically for years. Genetically... There's a small percentage of us in this country that are wired like us. About 15% are wired like me. About 85% of the people, hard drinkers, moderate drinkers, they can take it or leave it alone. You with me? But there's a small percentage of us, it's like being allergic to a food. We got anybody allergic to food in here? Please. What are you allergic to? Sugar? Get out. What happens when you eat sugar? You get more sick. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's, I, I think that's a pretty. <laughs> but it's a, but it's a, but it's a truth. Any y'all read Dr. Adkins' book, the, 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 you know, the protein. The, he talks about car, addiction to carbohydrates and the allergic reaction to carbohydrates. Some of us can open a bag of potato chips and eat a couple of potato chips, and some of us open a bag of potato chips and it stays open because <laughs> we, Patty and I'll sit there and tell us, are you gonna, really going to open that tonight? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> go ahead and open it, but it's going to be gone before we go to bed because we're going to sit there and eat that crap. That's, it, our bodies react differently to carbohydrates. Some of you react differently to seafood. You know, you eat shellfish. And you, we all have these reactions, but nobody wants to sit there asking somebody that's allergic to shrimp. Nobody wants to jam them afterwards and says, Hey, buddy, do you have a tough time with your mother? Is that why you can't eat shrimp? <laughs> no, and we laugh, we, laugh, we laugh about it. But, you know, I mean, I've had, I've had countless arguments with people. I had to do a... Listen, I had to do a whole life story one time about how I was potty trained to try to figure out why it was that I was drinking. Now, guys, I'm not knocking therapy. I learned a lot of great stuff about myself. But we're trying to treat something that can only be treated internally by looking at stuff that's external. You with us? And this is, this is for years what we've tried to do. So I want to talk to you a little bit in the time I've got with you about what the book calls is what he clearly describes is alcoholism. First thing I want to read you, though, is, is, is my, my new favorite page. I read it last summer when we were up here. And I, and, I, and I got it. It's on page 34 if you've got your little book. Whether such a person can stop... Well, the whole paragraph. For those who are unwilling to drink moderately... Unwilling. Unable to drink moderately. The question is how to stop altogether. We're assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Stop right there. Now, that's an assumption, isn't it? I mean, how many of you guys know there's, there's people that you're dealing with, guys that you're sponsoring, perhaps, that you, they just flat don't think they're really one of us and don't want to stop? So, um, again, we're not out here soliciting business. The cat comes in, he's looking for some help. Here's the deal. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he's going to drink or not. Got it? Tough paragraph, tough sentence. It says, can you stop on a non-spiritual basis, folks? 
That's what the book is asking you on page 34. And I'm going to say this and then we'll move on past it. If the book's questioning whether or not I can get sober on a non-spiritual basis, because I didn't misread that, folks. It says once the psychic change has taken place in, in Chris Raymer, he can go out there and kick butt and take names and have the power to absolutely stay away from alcohol and drugs. Oh, and by the way, have the power to deal with all of his other problems. And it doesn't say anything in there. Once he works through every stupid little... <laughs> no, I, I just... How many, how many of us in this room have, have spent... Count, I mean, there's not one of us in here that haven't gone to an AA meeting and dumped. Everybody does it. I've done it. Everybody in this room's done it. I'm just, I'm just having a shitty day and I just need to talk about it. You know. And I know we do. And we're going to keep continue to do it. There's people that are going to get in. But I'm saying, but, but I never could get sober because I thought that's what meetings were. I believe, just like some of the other people have said, I believe that AA was a one big self-help program. And I'm having a crappy day and you're going to help me have a better day and that means that I'm not going to have to drink. But you know, guys, here's the deal. We laugh about it every time I get a chance to talk. How many of you guys drank and drugged when everything was going absolutely great in your life? How many of you drank and drugged when everything was going absolutely crappy in your life? Now, what are we going to do about this, guys? Same hands were up. We're all drinking and drugging. It's like, did you drink when it was rainy outside? We're in trouble today, aren't we? I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Rainy and cold. And we drank when it was sunny. And we drank when I had a great girlfriend. We drank, drank when we were, you know, when I was dating Satan's sister. You know the old deal. And it's like... It's... And everybody said, well, I don't know what to say about that. I don't know what to say about it. You know what you don't, why you don't have it? Because, you, because it doesn't make any difference. And we talk about it endlessly. We want to talk about this idea. We do it in treatment centers forever. We foster this idea, this absolutely ridiculous idea that if we can make your life okay and work you through all these little crappy problems that you can come out the other side and never have to drink again. And that is, I'm telling you something, folks, that is absolutely disrespectful to do to an alcoholic and an addict. If you're a hard drinker, you're going to be lifted up by that. I guarantee you. All I was, I was in a bad relationship and now we worked through it in some good therapy and I'm out of that relationship and I don't have to drink anymore. Hallelujah. Good for you. Have a nice life. Go away. God, I spent a lifetime organizing my life and trying to arrange this over here so I can get sober and this over here so I can get sober and this over here. And, get, and you know, gee, I move and go here and go there and go there and then change and go to school and get and change. And for 18 years, I drank and drugged. For 18 years, I could not stop. I need to tell you folks, I, I talk at a lot of different fellowships, and so if I say drink and drug, I know where I am I'm at. I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous. My nemesis was beer. Not cocaine, not, not drug, beer. I could not stop drinking beer. Dig? And I tried everything under the sun. Cocaine was my big experiment. You know, I was, oh, well, I finally found something. You know, I don't have to drink anymore. And I just, <laughs> it was a bad move on my part. I don't <laughs> I should have, I should have thought this one through a little bit more. You know, boy, I did it. But all of y'all have done it. You've got combinations of stuff that you could do. We got the pills. Now we got the alcohol, alcohol and the pills. And no, 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 no. All right, all right. This is what an alcoholic looks like, folks. And some of you guys are going to really be able to relate to this. And I'm going to tell you right now, before I get started, some of you guys in this room, when I do this little exercise, you're going to say, I, I don't, I don't relate to what he's saying. I've done you a great service. All I'm asking you to do is look at your truth based on your experience. There's nothing tougher for me to do than to sit in, the, in the, the fellowship that saved my life and watch some of you suffer so greatly in this fellowship. And why are you suffering? Maybe you're in the wrong room. Maybe you don't need to be here. What Desmond said this morning was so true. We need so many of you in the trenches with us in this spiritual program of action helping other alcoholics get well. And if you can't relate, you can't help anybody get well. Make sense? Because you're going to be talking about something that you know nothing about. See, there's a difference between knowledge and experience. And that's all I'm trying to get you guys to see this morning. 
What is your experience around this thing we call alcohol? What is your experience around... Screw your war stories. we got one great place for war stories. That's from the podium and in a 12-step call. And we're doing neither here. You'll follow us? Your war stories are... Or some of your war stories are your, are your worst... Your worst enemy is the noose around your neck. I hear people in AA all the time, right? They want to say, well, that's all we have is our war story. That is, if that's all I've got, shame on me. Yeah, I've got a war, a war story. I, I know exactly what led me up to here. You know, the miracle happened 15 years ago when I took my last drink. And I had some people that showed me how to get connected with God. And I got 15 years of sobriety that I would like to share with a newcomer. The good stuff. Getting my credit back. Getting the relationship that I want. Being in a nice house. Being able to... Su- there's some great stuff happening out there, guys, in this thing called life that I wanted to avoid so terribly for 18, 19 years of drinking and drugging. Y'all follow us? War story is a piece. Page 17, it says, Our common problem is one element in the cement that binds us, but that can't hold us together as we're now joined. Guys, why am I so friends with you? I emailed dozens of y'all in this room. We stay connected. I've known you for years. Why do we stay connected? Because I ate out of dumpsters in Houston, Texas? <laughs> No, we stay connected because your life is on fire and it's fascinating to watch. We, we, we help each other stay on the path. So that's all I'm trying to get you guys to do. What's the truth based on your experience? Yeah? have a lot of people in, in the industry that I work in, the treatment center industry, we got a lot of people out there talking about stuff that they got no experience with. They're not alcoholic and addict. They've got a lot of education, but they're not one of us. You follow me? And they're going to tell me what it's like to be an alcoholic. Excuse me? You know, I think we'd probably have a lot less problem in our fellowship today if we had people that would just talk about what they know about. You know, you know what I'm saying? Instead of what, what you think you know about. You see, we've got way too many people in AA today sharing their opinions and not near enough people sharing their truth. There's a difference. We were laughing with Patty the other day. We were talking. I, I finally admitted from the podium. You know, I'm, through the 80s, I actually subscribed to... I'm almost afraid to tell you this. I absolutely... I, I subscribed to Cosmopolitan... I couldn't buy it off the off, off the off the magazine rack because I mean I mean I'd rather buy a, 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 the dirtiest magazine out there, you know, and at least look like I knew it. But I'm subscribing to Cosmopolitan because I want to know what what what's this woman thing, you know? What is it? We're going through the 80s and trying to be a sensitive kind of guy, you know. And if you learn more about women, then maybe. Maybe you get more kissy kissy. Okay, so. And I need to tell you, I failed miserably at that experiment too, you know. But I mean, but I mean, just because I know a lot about women, it doesn't mean that I know what it is to be a woman. Can y'all get down with that? I mean, it's like, you know, ladies, you, you, you think you know about guys? You'll never know what it is because you've had no experience being a guy. Isn't that right? I hear the guys out here, you know, just, oh, I feel you. Talking, talking to, a, to, to a black man that's been, it's been discriminated against all his life. Just, oh, I can feel your pain, man. <laughs> you, you white guy said, you, you don't feel shit. You know? <laughs> You, don't, you will never know what that man has gone through because you've never been there. Y'all with me? That's, that's exactly what we're talking about here. Some of you in this room, you've been given such a tremendous gift. Is it a death sentence? Yes. But it's such a gift because, because you know and understand this, you can relay this message to the newcomer and help them get connected. Thank God for that. But if, you've, if you don't understand this, you can't share it with anybody. I hope you got that one. Okay? Here's what it is to be an alcoholic. Two, I see. There's three little areas we're going to talk about. We won't spend long on any one of them because it's just not all that complicated. This is not rocket science. Body, mind, and spirit is what the book talks about. Is as it describes as alcoholism. It's also the same as drug addiction in the in the purest sense of the word. Here's what it is. Now you either can relate. We do. I do family lectures with families and members of. of Alcoholics and addicts, and they come in, and some of the people in the room can relate, some of the people can't relate. So here, here's, if you've got these symptoms, though, I think you can relate, and you can understand what I'm talking about. Physical allergy, first piece. Y'all get your money. Let's, let's pay for my plane fare. Physical allergy. When I put alcohol, the, the doctor's opinion in the front of the book, it talks about it. When I put alcohol in my body... Something happens different in me that happens in ordinary people. Go with us? You put alcohol in your body, something happens different. Out, family members, they, they drive them crazy because they believe that alcohol in you it should be the same as alcohol in me. And they don't understand that there's a physical thing that separates me from other people. See? 
I can eat shellfish. Some of you in here can't eat shellfish. That doesn't mean that we're, we're weird in any other way. It just means that genetically I can't tolerate the shellfish. Make sense? Same stuff right here. Physical allergy. When I put alcohol or drugs in my body, what takes place? What happens? I begin to lose control once I put it in my body. Y'all got it? When I, the, let me put it another way. Did you ever drink more than you intended? Yeah, and, and you get the young guys and he goes, no, every time I drink, I said I have to get absolutely squashed. I'm not buying that because I, I, like Desmond and some of the others in here, I was a functioning alcoholic. Folks, I was a professional chef for years at the height of my career. I couldn't do that if every time I drank, I drank everything in Texas. You all with me? But there were times that I set out and I was just going to drink a couple of drinks, right? And I ended up drinking six drinks, 16 drinks. You follow me? Some nights the phenomena of craving were satisfied with a couple of drinks. I drank two and went home. And some nights the phenomena of craving wasn't satisfied at all and I drank around the clock. You with us? There was nothing weird going on in my life that was causing me to drink that day. It was all boiled down to the phenomena called craving. Normal people don't crave alcohol. You with us? Do we have anybody normal in here? Any family member in here by any chance? This would be a hoot if we had one. We could just torture that poor fool. <laughs> you ever sit down with a normal person though and watch them drink and they drink a couple of drinks and, and you say, Honey, you ready for another drink? And they go, No, thank you. I'm starting to feel it. See? And, and because they're starting to feel it, they don't like the way it makes them feel and so they what? They stop. You see? What happens with us? We start to drink a couple of drinks and we start to feel it. What does our little mind say? <laughs> guys, and it's the truth. And you talk to this about people that, are, that don't understand this bit and they think we're not. How many of you guys ever went and got sick in old beer joint and, and threw your guts up and then came back, walked, walked back to the table and, yeah, let me have another drink. And it's like, <laughs> we laugh all the time, blame it. It must have been the stupid chicken, you know, blaming the chicken. Oh. <laughs> What happens? What happens? See, and here's here. Here's a little target. Here's what happens when we first start drinking. When I started drinking, I bet you Desmond's story is the same as mine in this regard. Patty, any of us in here that we know, Mike, we started drinking, and the stuff started affecting the way we felt. And I'm telling you, every time I drank, it, it, it did something pretty magical for me. It made me feel better. And I'm hitting this target. Now, guys, you can hit this target for about a million times. But what happens that one time that you ended up drinking a little bit too much and you, you missed the target altogether? You'll follow us? Guys, this is a happy, happy place right here in that center of that target. We call that Mr. Happy Place. I know. <laughs> this right here is Mr. Not-So-Damn-Happy Place. Right out here, you know what I'm saying? And sometimes we'd be drinking and hit this thing again for the next thousand. I'm never going to get that squashed again and make a fool of myself and throw up at that party and I got a DWI and I'm not ever going to do that again. And so for the next... 40, 50, 60, 80, 100,000 times you hit this target again. You with us? And then there comes that one day that you set out to drink a couple. You with us? <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is, this has never seen Mr. Happy Spot over here. This is out of the car, boy. You're under arrest. You know, this is, Waking up someplace without half your clothes on, this is not a happy thing to do. You know, this is not... This is not... This is the kind of stuff you don't want to talk to anybody about. You know, what happened? Okay. Y'all understand that? I, just, a, just a news flash. This doesn't happen to normal drinkers ever. Ever. It doesn't happen. Just us. There's a genetic reason, a physical reason we don't have time to go into. But our bodies don't metabolize the alcohol like other people. And the phenomenon of craving kicks in, and we can't control The book says at certain times, guys, you've got to get past this one piece and we'll move on. There are times that I can control it. At least it appears that I'm control controlling it. I am not getting drunk every time I drink. I'm not making an ass of myself every time. I'm not ending up over here every time I drink. The question is, the book asks you, did it ever happen? Well, yeah. But, but, you're it. You're the, you've got the least, you've got the physical piece, the physical allergy. 
Now, that doesn't make you an alcoholic. That just means that you're wired weird. Dig? No. This brings us to the second piece. This is the piece that I'm famous for right here. And this will make some of you uncomfortable. And I apologize going in the door. Because this... Oh, jeez. <laughs> on page 20 and 21, it starts talking about it now. And then it goes on over for the next two or three pages. On 23, it says, The main problem is, is if all we had to contend with was the physical allergy, then just don't drink. I mean, it's like, thank you, Nancy Reagan, for sharing your wisdom with us. <laughs> just don't drink. Just don't drink. I mean, if you know that sometimes you, you drink a lot and you're over in Mr. Happy Spot and now you're over, we're over here in, in, in Satan land, you know, then just don't drink. Well, I don't seem to be able to not do it sometimes. That's the second piece, buddy. That's what the book says. The main problem centers in our mind rather than our bodies. De- Listen, guys. Detox centers. The hospital that I work for, we do a great job getting you cats detoxed off the pills or the alcohol, cocaine, whatever you're detoxing off of. We can get that out of your body and now there's nothing physically to trigger the... Fu- you know, if you don't drink the first one, you'll never end up over here. That, that much is true. Now, my problem is I, don't, I can't seem to stay away from the first one. Can anybody, you know what I'm saying? Can anybody try to clear this up in my head why it always is that I know this on an intellectual basis. Chris, if you just don't drink, you won't get drunk. Thanks. You know, <laughs> I, you know I don't even have Desmond's ed- education, but I, even I understand that. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. Why can't I leave the first one alone? Why is it that I get caught in these mental blank spots and a week after I've made a commitment with tears in my eyes in front of a wife that I don't want to scare or lose anymore and I'm going to say, buddy, I'm not ever going to do this again. Why is it that I did it again? And we got people in AA today killing people, standing up on the podium saying, I got up this morning and chose not to drink. Did you now? Did you now? My book says point blank on page 24 that we have lost the ability to choose whether we're going to do this or not. If you can choose and make it stick, then you are not one of us. You're a hard drinker, a hard drugger. Welcome. Have a nice life. But you're not an alcoholic. That colder in here all of a sudden, didn't it? <laughs> here. Choice, guys. This is the choice. You want to tell me you're choosing. This is why treatment centers kill us because all we want to do is go to treatment and talk about all the reasons that we're, why we're drinking. Isn't that right? How many of y'all been to treatment and y'all did it? You'll sit there and tell the counselors all the reasons that I'm drinking. I, <laughs> I, I had such a tough life and this happened and this happened. You want to give me all the reasons. This is why. Here. here what, what do you want here? We couldn't do this without putting a little buckaroo up here. Here's a little issue man. Issue man, is that we're famous for these little guys. I was just back in Iceland a couple of weeks ago, and you've got 400 people at this lecture. They're all wearing little issue man buttons. You know, and it's pretty cool. Little Iceland issue man. This is it's the coolest. Here's why we drink and drug, and this is what everybody wanted to talk about. Chris, you're drinking and drugging because of all this external stuff, and that's what we talk about endlessly. That's why it drives me crazy when you come into the meetings instead of going to Denny's where you're supposed to be talking about that crap and waste my time in recovery talking about everything out everything under the sun out here except what we're supposed to be talking about, which is what's going on inside. Make sense? Guys, we've got to get straight. If you're drinking because of something external, then you're not one of us. If that's the only reason you're drinking, change your circumstances. See, what... I'm going to come back to this. Let's go to this third piece, the spiritual malady piece. This internal condition is what the big book says, the reason that I drink and drug. And it describes it in the doctor's opinion in several places. On page 52, it talks specifically about it. An internal condition that's causing me to drink. Let me tell you what the spiritual malady looks like. And you guys see if you can identify with this. Book says it. How many of you guys in here understand irritable? How about restless? Discontent? Fearful? Depressed? Boredom? Hey, just leave them up. <laughs> You're making me seasick. It's like it's the wave out here. You're peeping them down. Yeah, it's, it's the same. What about, what about no sense of direction? Trouble in personal relationships. Trouble making a living. It's got nothing to do with making money. A lot of us make good money. What do we do with that money? We out there spending more than we're making? Living beyond our means? Credit card debt? 
spiritual malady is what that's called, folks. That internal condition is what's killing alcoholics and addicts. Guys, and I, had, I was talking to a friend of mine in the program yesterday. We were talking about his 12-year-old daughter who's never had a drink, and she, he's describing the symptoms. It's, it's alcoholism. It's alcoholism. Guys, in 17 years old, somebody gave me a bottle of Boone's Farm apple wine, and I drank that bottle of Boone's Farm, and I'm going to tell you what the Boone's Farm did. Did it get me drunk? Yes. Did it treat the spiritual malady? Instantly. You, 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 you cats in here, you want to think that the alcohol is the problem. If I just leave the damned alcohol alone, everything would be okay. It, if you're an alcoholic and you just don't drink, you will not get better. You will get worse. That's my experience. It's the experience of being around this fellowship for 20 years, watching you and myself in and out of this fellowship with the long periods of dry time and then leaving... How many of you people know people that have killed themselves in sobriety? Well, if alcohol was the problem, what, what, the, what, what are we doing? Alcohol's not the problem. Alcohol's never been the problem. Alcohol's the solution. It instantly treats this internal condition. That's why not drinking is a real pain for some of us. That's why, oh, you mean, I, I guess it's not drinking part, but not, no, no pot? <laughs> <laughs> How many people that I see coming to our hospital right now? There's 90 people in my hospital right now, and a lot of them were sober, dry for periods of time, and, and came back via the prescription pad. You follow me? I'm not taking any alcohol in my body anymore, but I'm not getting better either internally. And the depression comes back, and the boredom, and the fear, and the anxiety, and all of this, and it, it finally it just gradually outweighs the benefit. And I get caught in this middle blank spot one day driving home from work. Y'all know the, what it's like. Hey, some of y'all had a little dry spell, you know? And you're driving back, rush hour traffic, you know, and, and like you've been doing okay for weeks and it's no problem. And now all of a sudden, stupid radio station, they're just playing crap. What's all this rap stuff on here? I can't believe you're pushing it, irritable. You, you pull into work and somebody's got your parking place and you immediately are grateful that you didn't put the gun in the car today. <laughs> you have to go shoot somebody, you know, we're getting your parking place. It's like everything's life and death and you know you, the voices are starting to return and you're a worthless piece of shit and you're never going to amount to anything and you're no good and you know, you know the low self you, you with me? look at yourself in the mirror God what an ugly ugh, you know it's, it's internal stuff guys there's nothing external happening weird your external world has gotten better because you haven't been drinking for six months but the internal world is going to hell in a handbasket and you just and driving home that afternoon you're just just going to come unglued you pull into a 7-Eleven, you walk in to get a soda water, and you get, open a deal, and there's a Dr. Pepper there, and you shut it and stand there for... One beer. Sober six months. One stinking beer. Grab the beer out. Put it back. Grab the tall boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to make it one, I might as well make it a big one, you know? <laughs> we were downtown downtown in New York yesterday, and there's on the street, there's all the trash and stuff laying there on the street, and they had those Heinekens, like big, what? They didn't have those when I was out there drinking, you know? These big, they have to have both hands that carry the, the best, you know? It's, that's my kind of drink, you know? If you're going to have a beer, I just had a beer. <laughs> it was a gallon, but it was just a beer. Come on, guys. And you sit there and you get back in the car and you open that dead bottle and you gunk, gunk, gunk and you pour some of that down your throat and immediately, oh, listen to that song. I haven't heard that song in 20 years. You know, it's like, oh, that's the back out. Somebody's in your way. Go ahead. I'm in no hurry. <laughs> you know, with me? Because the internal condition is starting to feel better now and instantly the beer's fixed you. But the problem is you got this little pesky thing called the physical allergy we talked about at the beginning and it kicks in and now you're off to the stupid races again. You with me? And now, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, the phenomenal craving kicks in big time and you're squashed. You follow us? But what got us drunk? Treatment centers kill us for years by telling us that what we have to do is stay away from slippery places and slippery things. <laughs> and we laughed about it at the first of the meeting. I'm, guys, that's crap. That's crap. Listen... And not a day goes by, I don't have somebody, a family member calling me on the telephone. Chris, I want you to talk to Johnny. What's he doing? He's listening to that damn Metallica again. 
So, come on, hon, I'm busy. What, what do you want me to do here? Well, I want you to tell him to stop listening to that music. Why? You, you believe that the music is what got him loaded? All right, Johnny, put him on the phone. Johnny, take all that Metallica, box it up, and send it to me. <laughs> I'll destroy it for you. Come on, guys. What are we going to do? How many of you guys drank when you listen to rock and roll? Yeah. How many of you drank and drank when you listen to Patsy Cline? Dave Sanborn. Oh, I just don't listen to music altogether. How many when you was alone by yourself with that little apartment? How many with, 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 with a woman? You know where we're going with this, don't you? Forget it. Forget it. Uh-uh. That's what we've done in this fellowship. We've tried to point fingers and blame everybody under the sun while we got drunk. And the truth is this, point blank. I got drunk because I didn't do the things necessary to recover from alcoholism and drug addiction. Bill Wilson, when he wrote the big book, guys, 20, 24 places in the first 164, it says that you can recover from alcoholism. Never says we'll always be recovering. That is absolute crap. That, that is treatment center crap. It's what kills alcoholics. We'll always be recovering. That means we're always going to be sick. I'm always going to have alcoholism, folks. But guys, 15 years ago, the desire to drink and drug left me. As a result of me getting off my dead butt and finishing this work, finally, working the steps, the desire to use is left. What kind of a crappy program is this? If all I can offer you is that you can stay sober when things are going perfect. When things are going great, you can stay sober. But what about that little line, that little pesky line in the book where it talks about Fred the businessman? Is the line, y'all know the one? It was the end of a perfect day. Not a cloud on the horizon. And what does is, what is Fred do in the next paragraph? He gets squashed. Thought crosses his mind he could have a drink and he goes takes a drink. Y'all with me? Y'all understand? You, you absolutely cannot expect to stay sober if you believe that your drinking and drug has got something to do with this external world. If there's anything left to drink over, folks, you're going to drink over anything. The desire to drink has either been lifted from you or it hasn't. We're downtown New York. They're smoking crack out in the parking lot. They're drinking in the bars. We're, we're surrounded by the stuff. It's everywhere we go. What a terrific place y'all live in. <laughs> no, it's the best. I mean, what a wonderful place. As a recovered alcoholic, I don't have to worry about what's happening out here so I can stay sober in here. I just have to keep my little nose buried in the book and helping somebody else and watching that door for the newcomer to come in so I can go get some fresh blood to work with. Y'all understand that? That's what this is about. Y'all read it today. It's called Carry the Message Group. How cool is that? I'm going I'm to submit something to you. Some of you guys are spoiled because you sit in this meeting and you surround yourself with people that are big book thumpers and understand the necessity to work with others. But I'm going to tell you, there's a fellowship out there right now that they don't do that. There's a lot of people out there not working with others because they're too busy talking about their crappy day. Y'all with me? You sound like I get a little irritated with it? I am. I am. I've had it to hear with it. Absolutely drives me crazy. And everybody thinks it's our God-given right to do it. It's our God-given right to do this, to make a conscious choice whether I want to seek the power of God or not. I want to seek God. That's a second-step consideration, isn't it, little brother? Second-step consideration. Either God's everything or He's nothing at all. What's it going to be? He's everything. Good. Do you really mean that? If you really mean that, in the third step prayer when we said we're going to remove our difficulty so victory over the difficulty can bear witness to God's power, do we believe that? Then why is it that you spend all your time coming into meetings instead of looking for a newcomer to work with and sharing some hope? All you want to do is come in and use it as junior therapy session. Why is it that we continue to have our big book of Alcoholics Anonymous show up on, in, in indexes under self-help? Guys, I could, if I could help myself, I'd have done it a long time before I did. Can you all get down with that? I, 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 I am powerless over alcohol. And the stuff will kill me if I don't get some intervention. If sanity doesn't return and place me in a situation, a position of neutrality, I'm going to drink again. And it's just that simple. Why is that so controversial? Because that's the message that Bill Wilson tells us to share. Bill Wilson says, in the, as Bill sees it in the little book, as Bill sees it, in a letter from 1946, he says, our chief responsibility to the newcomer is an adequate presentation of the program. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. For years in AA, I didn't get an adequate presentation of the program. What I got was a lot of people pinching me on the cheek, telling me to keep coming back, telling me it was going to be okay. Telling me that meeting makers make it. 
And I'm going to tell you something, folks. Meeting makers don't make it. Meeting makers make it if they eventually work the steps. But if they're real alcoholic, they will eventually get so sick and tired of sitting in these meetings, listening to the crap, that they will leave. Their internal world will get so noisy that they can't sit in these rooms and they will go out in their car and they will open a can of beer and they will put an end to the pain that's going on in their life. Make sense? It's a pretty simple message. Quite controversial. Let me ask you a question before I go. Let me ask you a question. What's our primary purpose? <laughs> what message are we carrying? We need to be carrying the message, the same message, guys, because the same message that got Bill Wilson sober is the same message that got Dr. Bob sober. And Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob carried it to number three, and they got sober. And there's millions of us today because we're sober because somebody had the, the, the courage to tell us what we needed to do in order to get sober. Just getting you in this meeting is not good enough. Now we've got to get you motivated enough to actually do the work that you're supposed to do to get connected. We got so politically correct in the 70s and 80s, nobody wanted to talk about it. I've sat in meetings and listened to people say, Chris, you talk too much about God. You're scaring the newcomer away. <laughs> shame, on us as a, shame on us as a fellowship for going there. Shame on us. Thank you, God, for keeping me sober for 15 years. But I see a newcomer coming in the door, but I'm not going to tell him about you. That's pretty tragic. First step stuff is this. Do you have a physical allergy? This is what we need to be doing. When a newcomer comes into our fellowship, we need to qualify him. About the time he gets here and he stops shaking a little bit, you with us? He's got a little coffee right there. We need to start qualifying him to find out if he's in the right room. Is he a drug addict? Do we need to help him get to his Cocaine Anonymous or Assisted Fellowships Narcotics Anonymous? Can we help them get connected someplace that they need to be? Are they suffering from some stuff, that, the psychological stuff, that, that they need some good, strong medical attention? Y'all with us? Do they need some good therapy? Can we help them with that? We can't do that if all we do is just tell them to keep coming back and avoid them. We've got to sit down with a cup of coffee and talk to the cat, figure out what's going on with him. That's what our book tells us to do. Find out as much as you can about him. We sit in meetings and says, you don't have anything to share for the first six months you're here. Excuse me? Show me in the book where it says that crap. It doesn't say that. It says, let's get the guy to talk. Let's find out what he needs to, to do. And then we're going to get with him. We're going to try, again, qualify him. We're going to ask him some questions. Find out if he's a real alcoholic or not about the physical allergy. Hey, buddy, what happens when you drink? Do you lose control sometimes and drink more than you intended? Yeah. Given sufficient reason, you just lost a job, you, 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 you woke up sick, you, you scared the daylight out of the kids, whatever, can you stop and stay stop? Have you been able to quit for good on your own power? No. Well, buddy, guess what? You're suffering from a disease that we can guarantee you recovery from. How, how cool is that? All you've got to do is finish this work. And you know what else is cool? I know how to show you how to finish it. And there's people in this room that can show you how to finish it. And we're going to work you through these steps rapidly. We're not going to let you sit on your butt for six months until you get comfortable. We're going to work you through the steps right now. Today, we're going to get started. Tonight, when I talk at 4 o'clock, when I speak this afternoon, I'll tell you about my experience finally coming back to the fellowship after seven years in and out and have the old-timers sit on me for two weeks until I finish the work. That's what they did with Ebby. That's what they did with Bill. But you're not good enough to do. We're just going to allow you to sit in these rooms for years and do nothing. Absolute travesty. Success rates in Alcoholics Anonymous used to be excellent. Second edition tells us we had a 75% success rate. Since the stats in Akron around Cleveland were nearly 100% in certain places. Read into the Clarence Snyder stuff. Read the history. Read the archives. Worst case scenario, 65% were getting sober. Right now in the United States, I'm telling you right now, we've got some cats from New York here that could probably fill us in a little closer on the stats. Right now in Texas, I can tell you right now, from chip sales, we've got less than 8% staying sober. What, what's up with that? It took us 67 years to take a beautiful message like this and trash it. Why did we do that? Why did we trash it? 
Because this message right here, you know how much this message costs? Nothing. Nothing. You know how much it costs to come to most treatment centers in the country right now? Let's don't even go there. Okay. I'm not knocking treatment centers. I work for one again. I think it's the absolute best. I'm telling you where, where, where all water's down to, though. If we take them through the treatment and we don't explain this to them, they're not staying sober. We've watched it for years. In and out, and in and out, and in and out, and in and out. Make sense? This is the coolest. If you understand the physical allergy, the mental obsession, and the spiritual malady, and you can understand and show them in the book where this is at, there's no reason why after the first couple of weeks you're sober, you couldn't start carrying this message to the newcomer that's still hurting out there and helping them. Because it's by giving away, by carrying the message like we read earlier in this book, that we're going to stay sober. It's by giving it back that we get to stay sober. And I sure hope that we got more of you in the trenches with us. I'm preaching to the choir. Most of you in this room are nodding your head. Some of you are grinding your teeth. You know, guys, I don't know what to tell you. I love you. But you know, if you think for a second that I'm going to sit around on, on my butt and watch you kill people in this fellowship by sharing your opinion, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong. You have every right to stand up and say what you need to say in a meeting. Just like I have every right to stand up and carry what's in this book. This is the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. The program is the 12 steps. If you're not working the 12 steps, you're in the fellowship, you're welcome, but you're not in the program, and this is where we get well, is in the program. If you've got a sponsor that's telling you to take your time to work the steps, come see me after the meeting. I know some people in this room that understand what that means. That means is I don't have time to mess with you. You're down with that? Come, come, let us get you hooked up with some cats that are going to work you through the steps so that you can have a spiritual experience so that the desire to drink and drug leaves you and you can walk out of this room absolutely free. Thank God for that. Because I'll repeat what Des said earlier. God, we need every single person in this room. Young adult, old adult, we need everybody in the trench with us helping us carry the message of hope. Because they're not getting it in treatment. They're going to get it right here with you cats. I'm glad to know every one of you. Thank you so much. <laughs>